0: Drafting Archetypes is sponsored by Gray Viking Games. Gray Viking Games is the best place to get MTGA arena codes, From booster packs to awesome cosmetics, check them out at grayvikinggames.com and use our code DRAFT for 10% off. Hey everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes. And today we are going to be talking about White X control. I have already discussed lower hold aggro and silver quill aggro. So this is like the other way to use cards in that space. And I'm not talking about specifically lorehold control or specifically silver quail control because it is always the case that the more controlling your deck is, the more you're open to splashing. In this case, I think there's not really enough support to reliably or frequently draft Silver Cool Control. And with lower hold control, I think that there are a lot of things that push you to want to draft such that it's very easy for you to splash, such that I think that it's best to talk about lower hold control as an open-ended deck or a deck that's flexible about its colors. So rather than framing it as here's how to draft lore hold control, and then like a separate note about, oh, by the way, you can be black-based, I figured it's easiest to just focus on white X. Basically all the cards in this space that are really pushing you to draft control are white. And there aren't that many of them, to be honest. This is an archetype or general space that relies heavily on a very small subset of cards, which can make it difficult to draft because you do need those to be open or you need to be open to uh, pivoting to find enough playables. But also it means that you can be rewarded because there are some cards that really reward you for being in this space and not very many people who are likely competing for them. That's really big picture on how I'm seeing this and why I'm talking about it in this way. It's weird to say that white X control is a subset of Demir, but it follows from a very similar logic and framework. To the extent that I talked about like Demir being a state of mind and the strength of splashing in that archetype and the idea of like prioritizing removal and playing a long game, a lot of that's going to hold true here. Often, the way that I draft, I'll be like prioritizing removal spells and then figuring out whether I'm going to end up being more demir based or more white-based. Uh, somewhere midway through the first pack or into the second pack or something. I think it's useful to highlight some of the uniquely white elements of white X control as like an offshoot of demure control. I think that it's particularly useful to understand as far as it relates to what happens when you don't find serpentine curves. Because the focus of blue-black was largely about, okay, well, make our serpentine curves really good. Then if we don't have them, or if they're being more contested because more people now know about that archetype, now how do I win? What's my backup plan? And white has its own way of grinding that can lean more into, well, I just have card advantage. We're going to turn this into you know some kind of inevitability and like maybe what i'm talking about is i'm just going to attack with a pilgrim of the ages a lot which isn't how you want to do it but is like sometimes a viable backup plan that's kind of like how this fits in bigger picture to drafting the whole control space before i get too far i'm going to successfully remember for once that i do want to remind anyone listening if you are a patron with access to my podcast notes those notes are available so feel free to head over to patreon.com slash drafting archetypes find the note that i just went up to follow along the notes are fairly sparse for this archetype this is not one that is very stats heavy this is very much based on theory and my own experiences rather than like relying on uh, data or you know collective experience of other people's numbers and it's also one that relies on a fairly small number of cards. So I'm t- discussing a fairly narrow space. So as far as like, why would you draft this deck? What puts you in this deck? The cards that most strongly push you to this are, as is usually the case for control decks, uh, rare and mythic type cards. The top highlights being approach of the second sign and day of judgment two super, super, super powerful cards that are somewhat narrow in application in terms of how to use them, but things that you definitely want to be able to take early in a draft if you see them and know what to do if you have them. If your predilection isn't to draft a control deck and then sometimes whites open and you just do that, the thing that's gonna put you into this space is having one of those cards and then trying to figure out how to draft around it. And Approach to the Second Son in particular is a great answer to the, how do I win if I don't have serpentine curves question and I think actually plays a lot better if you aren't prioritizing Serpentine Curves. And then Day of Judgment, similar situation, just like a fantastic control card, but not great in other places, but really, really powerful, and something that I definitely want to be able to like draft and use. I mean, Blot Out the Sky or something is another pull toward this kind of space. Obviously, this is a direction that you'd be happy to go from Mascot Exhibition. In general, any kind of like game-winning, super-powerful-type bomb that isn't explicitly very aggressive lends itself to a control deck because control decks play longer games where you're more likely to find your bombs. So there are definitely other powerful cards that can send you down this direction or that can be used well in this kind of deck. Brotion Day of Judgment are the cards that from pack one, pick one, I take that and I say, okay, I'm trying to draft white control When you don't start with one of those, I believe Day of Judgment's Mythic, so they're both Mythic, so when you don't start with one of those exceptional cards, then you're in a space where you might end up pivoting into this kind of deck from just having good commons. And the good commons that I'll usually take early in a draft that uh, put me in this kind of space are, unsurprisingly, Rise of Extus and Expel. Rise of Extus is a great removal spell in a control deck because it's expensive enough that a lot of the aggressive void decks don't really want to prioritize it, and expel is reactive enough that aggressive decks don't want to prioritize it. Both of them are fantastic if you're trying to play a long game and you're not trying to attack. Since I'm generally in the market to do those things, I take those cards fairly highly, and that can lead me to drafting void control. Those are the commons that I'm most likely to have early that kind of open this door for me. The other biggest commons that I'm looking to use that are more like rewards for being here, but also kind of the engine of the deck is this significant mini combo of the interaction between Thrilling Discovery and Pilgrim of the Ages. The, the synergy here is pretty straightforward. You cast Pilgrim, it puts a lands in your hand that gives you an extra resource, but the extra resource might not be that valuable. If you have enough lands, Thrilling Discovery can convert it into another resource. Alternatively, Pilgrim can just hit enough land drops that you have enough mana to like return your Pilgrim to your hand after it dies. And then maybe rather than bothering to recast it and then like hope to trade it off and get it back in your graveyard to get value, maybe you just discard it to Thrilling Discovery and then it's in your graveyard to return again and you can convert it into other resources that way. Thrilling Discovery is also just a card that I've found really strong in control decks. It helps deal with like the fact that playing a really long game You're going to eventually accumulate more lands than you need, and you can just discard them. It powers up Serpentine Curves if you're going that direction. The life gain is actually pretty important. I mean, it's really good with just everything that gets cards back from your graveyard. It lets you discard expensive cards that you don't want early to make sure that you're hitting your land drops and stuff, while filling filling your graveyard with options so that you can take advantage of cards that use your graveyard. So it plays well setting up cards like Reconstruct History, Pillar Drop Warden, and Return Pass Caller. But we're getting to the point in this format where I'm familiar enough with these cards that I'm just saying names, but I'll try to be uh, more careful as I'm going into details about cards, especially cards that aren't common, about reminding listeners about what the text is or what kind, of, basically what card they are. Thrilling Discovery in Pilgrim of the Ages is a possible backbone, Uh, the backbone of like heavy white control if you can get it. I'm really looking for as many Thrilling Discoveries as I can get my hands on. I've played five or six and been happy with it. You can always just discard Thrilling Discovery to Thrilling Discovery, and when you have a lot of them, you can know to hold extra lands and expect to draw Thrilling Discovery soon to convert them into other resources. And when you have a lot of them, it's just absolutely perfect for an approach to the second sun strategy where it'll dig you very quickly to approach and then also you know if you have a bunch of copies dig you back to cash to approach the second time and then the more thrilling discoveries I have the more pilgrim of the ages I'm looking for I only expect to like have or want maybe two to three pilgrim of the ages it would be very very weird to play four it would also be very weird to just get your hands on four because I think it's a somewhat more highly drafted card in general I could check the stats on that but I haven't so That's not to say that the only commons you want are these white removal spells and this one combo. Obviously, there are plenty of other commons that work, but those are the ones that are really punching above their weight class in this archetype. Commons that you're getting more value out of here than you would be in other places. Uncommons in the same space are Divine Gambit. Divine Gambit is the reprint from Kaldheim, White White, Exile Target, Creature, Artifact, or Enchantment, I think and its controller can put a permanent from their hand onto the battlefield. Return past collar is the 6-mana 4-2 that returns a spirit or instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand, flyer. Reconstruct History is the white-red 2 sorcery that returns an artifact, enchantment, instant, sorcery, and planeswalker from your graveyard, up to each of, one of each of those, from your graveyard to your hand, and exiles itself. And Rip Apart is the common that does 3 damage to a creature or planeswalker or destroys an artifact or enchantment. It might be a little weird to have a generic removal spell like Rip Apart listed as specifically better in a control deck, but I've very much found that to be the case. I'm unimpressed by Rip Apart in aggro decks, since it doesn't deal with large creatures that, you know, are going to halt your offensive. In general, I find tricks to be a better approach for aggro decks to handle small blockers. Whereas when you're drafting a control deck, it's really nice to have a cheap spell that can trade with your opponent's threat, regardless of whether that ha- threat has evasion or whether your opponent has a removal spell that might stop you from blocking or something. So I think Rib Apart fits really well in controlling lore hold decks and not very well, or it's not a very high priority in aggressive lore hold decks. Reconstruct history is really significant to drafting white control. It's maybe the most significant card in the set overall in terms of its higher impact than the commons and shows up more frequently than the rares and mythics. In my experience, I can almost always count on tabling it. And at this point, I draft control frequently enough that whenever I see a reconstruct history, like in the first five picks, I expect that I'm going to get it and I'm going to draft as if I already have it. That's worked well for me so far. Don't know if this podcast existing might change that to some extent, probably not. I suspect that I'll continue to treat Reconstruct History as a card that I'm getting free out of packs when I see it. We see some of the significance of my just expecting that my white control decks are likely built in a way where I just have a Reconstruct History or two in my prioritizing Thrilling Discovery, of course, but also Reconstruct History is a strong push to play more card types, which is not easy to do in this format because there are very few Planeswalkers and also remarkably few enchantments, but it's pretty easy to add artifacts to your deck. You have three reasonable and one fairly weak option at Commons in Campus Guide, Letter of Acceptance, and Biblioplex Assistant. And then if you really have to, you can play the O4 wall. And the O4 wall, you know, you can do worse than that, you know, it, like dedicated control deck, especially, you know, with, if you have a bunch of thrilling discoveries to discard it if you don't need the blocker. So the fact that I'm incentivized to play campus guide and letter of acceptance, also the archivist, the six mana four or five reach that can put cards from your graveyard back into your library. Also a great fit here, high impact artifact to be able to return with reconstruct history which makes it really good to discard with Thrilling Discovery and then get back with Reconstruct and then cast. There are a lot of artifacts that you can add to this deck to make sure that you're getting the most out of your Reconstruct histories, and you can make sure that they end up in your graveyard in time to reconstruct them with Thrilling Discovery if you have all of that. The push to play Campus Guide and Letter of Acceptance is part of what pushes you to be in a position where you're open to uh, splashing and able to take advantage of that where I'm often pretty unhappy if I have to play campus guide, a little bit less but not thrilled, to play letter of acceptance. Since I want those anyway, because I'm taking advantage of their typeline, now I can also take advantage of the manifesting kind of for free, which makes it a lot easier to be like Mardu control, or Jeskai control, or four color control. Technically you could use green. I'm gonna talk a little bit more later about why I'm not that into that. Going from getting two cards back to getting three cards back is kind of transformative, right? Like if you think about it in terms of like, there's a huge difference in how impactful a draw two is versus a draw three. And then when you turn a draw three into, actually I get three spells, and there are three spells of my choice. At least one of them is probably gonna be the best card in my graveyard. I might not get the best and second best and third best, but I'm going to get the best and maybe third best and then um, another piece of material. I'm very, very happy to do some work to get a third thing to return. As for getting a fourth thing to return, it's a nice bonus, but I'm not going to like highly prioritize cards like Detention, Sphere, or Lord hold Excavation so that I can potentially discard them so that I can return them, unless I have a lot of thrilling discoveries. If I have a really high number of Thrilling Discoveries and multiple Reconstruct, I could see playing one of those very low powered enchantments just to move between zones to generate card advantage, but the situation for that would need to be very extreme. The important part is Reconstruct History leads you to want to play Artifacts, which leads you to splash better. Those are the uncommons that I'm really looking to take advantage of. There are a few uncommons that are noticeably absent from that list specifically Quintorius and Lorehold Excavation which are both cards that look like they might be big draws to drafting Lorehold Control. And while I do believe that it is possible to draft Lorehold Control decks where those cards are playable, I wouldn't consider it advisable. I would say that both cards are somewhere between relatively weak and overt traps. Quintorius simply requires too much to go right. I've noticed that all of the five mana four toughness creatures that do something impressive, if you like untap with them or have some kind of good setup situation in Quintorius's case, don't perform all that well overall even though they do occasionally take over a game. While your experience might lead you to believe Quintorius or Ardent Dust Speaker or Nasri the Red Dean is a very powerful card because they can fairly easily single-handedly take over a game. In aggregate, they actually all underperform because you don't really give that much thought to the games where you're kind of like getting run over, you spend five mana for a four toughness creature, your opponent casts heated debate and you lose. We know from looking at the data in like a larger sense, it's really, really best to avoid leaning on those 5-mana 4-Toughness creatures if you can, and so that's why I don't think it's worth doing a lot of setup to like play a bunch of Tome Shredders to try to make Quintorius a strong card. So I, I think it's best to just avoid Quintorius and focus your card advantage and inevitability on removal and card advantage in the form of like reconstruct history and churn turn past color loops and learning with Rise of Extus rather than, oh, I'm going to play this like single threat that can take over the board if my opponent can't answer it. Laureld Excavation, admittedly more reliable than Quintorious, but also requires a lot of mana investment. I would prefer to draft my deck in such a way that I don't need to dedicate a card to giving me a late game mana sink and instead, I can just take advantage of the fact that this format in general lends itself pretty well to spending a lot of mana over the course of a long game, especially if I have some of these recursive elements. And also, obviously, prioritizing learning and any other sources of, you know, card advantage and mana sinks I can find. Lorehold excavation is basically like an acceptable but very low end mana sink. If you're trying to play a super long game, risks running into problems with the fact that it's milling you and stuff like that generally pretty hard to make work to your advantage strongly. Those are the uncommons that I am and the uncommons that I am not looking to take advantage of. So what about the other colors? From red, the cards that I think are explicitly good here are Pillar Drop Warden, Tome Shredder, Illustrious Historian, Heated Debate. Heated Debate's good everywhere, whatever, but it is a card that you're very happy with in this deck. Pillar Drop Warden, Tome Shredder, and Illustrious Historian are uh, you know, punching above their weight class better than they are in other places in this deck. Though Drop Warden plays fairly well in any kind of control deck regardless of like whether you're white or not. But Tome Shredder, obviously, like it's, you know, a little bit weird to be like this 2-2 Haster is a good blocker, but I mean, it grows when it's not attacking and it doesn't grow when it is attacking. It shouldn't be that surprising. Illustrious Historian, not that great of an attacker, but not bad. But if your plan is to attack your opponent, it's hard to plan to do that with a 2-1 in a world where pests exist, because some portion of the time your opponent's going to play Hunt for Specimens or Professor of Zoomancy, and you're going to look at their pest and you're going to say, Great, now how do I get value out of my uh, illustrious historian? Whereas if you're planning to use it on defense, you can at least try to find a two-toughness creature your opponent's going to attack you with to block. And also another thing that I like about Illustrious Historian is you get a little bit of like free value if you can discard it to a thrilling discovery. I don't consider any of these cards big draws or very important. This is more like these are the cards that you're looking to fill your deck out with to support your like premium removal and synergistic uncommons and stuff i talked a bit about artifacts already those are other commons that you're happy to fill your deck out with so next thing i want to touch on is like why black all of the like high impact uncommons i talked about are lore hold or mono white and these other commons that i talked about that are particularly good defensively are red there are black commons that play well defensively they're more flexible rather than specifically defensive cards that work regardless of what you're doing, like Hunt for Specimen, Mage Hunter's onslaught, Specter of the and then the same is true with black uncommons, where you're mostly mostly just like looking for removal spells, maybe go blank. So obviously, what's going on here in terms of the black cards you're prioritizing are they're very very similar to. What you're looking for in Dumir, the early learn cards, hunt for specimens and cram session. You're looking for the removal spells. You're ignoring cards like Arrogant Poet. Uh, you can obviously use um, Lorehold or Silvercoil Pledge Mage are fine, flexible cards that can play a reasonable offensive or defensive game. You're happy to gain life with Silvercoil Pledge Mage, Lorehold Pledge Mage. First strike is generally very good on defense. There are black, white, gold cards that play well defensively, specifically. Um, I'm looking at you, Spiteful Squad, in particular. Basically, if you are base, white, red, you're in a position to splash because you have the artifacts that make it easy, maybe you have sciences, you're obviously prioritizing. The little bit of defensive learning that you can get, which is to say, Rise of Extus, um, but Rise of Extus isn't good mana fixing if you're trying to get environmental sciences, but uh, you can use study break um, and then you can potentially in some versions of the deck use guiding voice or first day of class. It is a little bit tricky if you're very very heavy removal very light early creatures to use guiding voice. I could see being in a spot where I end up like with environmental sciences and a white base and now I'm looking to use lessons to fix my mana so I want to play guiding voice and now I'm looking for early defensive creatures to play. I could see myself being in a spot where I'm actively happy about the plan where I'm going to go turn two, Ageless Guardian, the one four, and then on turn three, I'm going to Guiding Voice it and find Environmental Sciences and Cast Environmental Sciences to find my next land or my splash. I don't advocate playing Ageless Guardian lightly or in very many decks, but I do think that if you're white control and looking to take advantage of uh, Guiding Voice or potentially uh, first day of class, and you're looking for an early creature, like a cheap creature that can use those things. I do think that making a two five blocker is actually really good in this format because there are so many four power creatures and like four damage removal spells and stuff that it's actually surprisingly big game to put a single plus one plus one counter on Ageless Guardian when you're just trying to block with it. So you have a learn slash artifact mana fixing base, slash you can use non-basic lands to fix. Splash some other colors in your white-red deck. The black cards you're looking to splash are mostly the single black cost removal, like uh, Closing Statement, Flunk, Eliminate. But you can also certainly use Mage Hunter's Onslaught if you end up relatively light red or lighter red than you might have expected, or like white-black, Splashing Reconstruct History or whatever. If you have a lot of fixing, you can just be solid three or whatever and play Mage Hunter's Onslaught. It's not, it, I wouldn't go out of my way to support Mage Hunter's Onslaught. I don't think it's a very strong card. But in a deck that's just looking for hard removal, if you happen to be in a spot where you can cast it, it's fine. So the next thing I want to touch on is, okay, we're white base, but we're in a position where we can splash. What about blue and green? They're not enemy colors with white, which means we don't have campuses or anything. But are there any cards that we want to like work to be able to support? Obviously, the interaction between Thrilling Discovery and Serpentine Curve is great. Thrilling Discovery is really, really good at tearing through your deck and filling your graveyard which is what you're looking to do if you're trying to cast Serpentine Curve. You can definitely be White Red or White Red X or, you know, White X or whatever. Just like, you can definitely play Thrilling Discovery with Serpentine Curve. That can be a thing you're doing. A control deck is always going to be happy to have Barion books. If you have a bunch of removal, you're not going to be sad to have any blue card draw spell. There's a reasonable amount of synergy here with blue. The way that I draft, I very, very, very often try to be four color, not green. And then I'm definitely looking to play a lot of elements from this white shell, splashing a couple of blue cards, removal, card draw, serpentine curve, or looking to be the blue black shell, splashing a couple of white cards like Expel and Reconstruct History. Or I'm just all of this, and my drafting is informed by synergies that I've discussed here, as well as synergies that I've discussed in Demir, and just kind of trying to put it all together, however it happens to come up. As for green, I don't think that green control cards play well with white control cards. I think that either one of them can be the base for a control deck, but I don't think that they play very well together. If you're trying to do the Field Trip and Quandrix Cultivator kind of like a ramp control base that a lot of the white stuff doesn't really fit well into that and if you're trying to use the green fight spells the white creatures aren't particularly good fighters and white's offering like competing removal that plays well in a very different context where you don't want to be trying to expel your opponent's creatures when you have your own larger creatures, how, are, how is your opponent going to end up with a tap creature for you to expel in that situation? With green, I think that you want to, if you're trying to do fighting stuff, you want to prioritize like casting a two drop so that you can cast a fight spell. Whereas with white, I'm more like, well, I'm just going to cast Thrilling Discovery and then I'm going to use Removal. Basically, like I do think that you can draft something like Abzan mid-range, but it's not a direction that I've been drawn to in terms of like this hard control type strategy. I do think that you can draft just like, I have large Witherbloom type creatures and I'm like splashing like an expel. I've had success combining Professor of Symbology and Gnarled Professor with some black cards, but it ends up being a lot more creature heavy, whereas I'm approaching like this white control base as a fairly creature light deck. I think that's the big difference is green not surprisingly errs toward more creatures whereas like when we're talking about a white deck that's drafted around cards like approach second sun or day of judgment we're definitely talking about trying to play fewer creatures similarly you know like reconstruct history likes it when you have a lot of cards in your deck that aren't creatures so you can fill your graveyard with a good variety of things that you've drawn because you are drawing those instead of drawing creatures those are the cards that i'm trying to use that's the theory behind it those are the what I'm looking for from the different colors. Final note, the the actual premium commons, I've discussed some specific cards and there's not a deep bench here. Beyond the stuff that you're really looking for, a lot of the rest of the cards aren't great for you. There are just like a lot of, you know, aggressive white cards, like, you know, eager first year, to some extent, the pledge mages. And, you know, the, the cards that you put in, Lower hold and slit and um, silvercoil aggro decks, and then just some weak cards like stone rise spirit that you just don't really want. Combat professor is fine here, it's, but it's you know you're not it, using it at its best. I don't expect to cut combat professor from a white base deck very often. Uh, the like four toughness flying vigilance creature is very is very good defensively. You should certainly play it. I don't want the fact that I haven't talked about it to lead you to say like, oh, I'm trying to draft control. I don't want combat professor. But, you know, if it's the third pack and I'm in this like white control space, I'm going to take an expel over a combat professor, which is certainly not something you do in an aggressive deck. The commons you're expecting to build your deck out of are a fairly fairly small pool of cards that lends itself to hoping to get a lot of higher rarity cards and also just a lot of openness to splashing and really taking advantage of the options provided by Campus Guide, Letter of Acceptance, Environmental Sciences, and Archway Commons. So that is what I wanted to tell you about this archetype. So we're going to transition to questions I do want to thank my new patrons this week on um, Patreon.com/draftingarchetypes. Maximiliano, Eric, and Anthony, thank you very much for um, joining the Patreon and supporting the podcast. If anyone else is interested, head over to the website that I keep saying and um, just look into the benefits that we offer and see if any of the packages are appealing to you. And uh, as for questions. Alright, the first card that people want to know about is Devastating Mastery, whether that's a draw to this deck or um, whether this is a good place to use that card. I don't think it's a strong draw to draft this deck in that I don't think it's a card that you should necessarily draft early because it's much less powerful than Day of Judgment. But I do think that it's like a meaningful reward for being in this space. It is a card that I've played and been happy with in this kind of archetype, especially if you have... Pilgrim of the Ages to make sure that you can uh, keep finding planes to hit the four white. I think that it can play really well in this deck that's, you know, obviously not playing very much to the battlefield. I've had good experiences with it. It's also really nice that the four mana version doesn't require a ton of white mana and can clean up potentially multiple large fractals or whatever. It is actually a very strong card if you have minimal battlefield presence in your deck. It plays really well in. The like Reconstruct History space. It's also really good with Thrilling Discovery just because there will be a lot of times where you're nowhere near casting it or where you're in a matchup where your opponent isn't playing more to the board than you are. Being able to discard is really good. But I have cast the card to good effect. I do think that it, it, it is strong in this archetype. I just am not in a place right now where I see it as a card that I should first pick and draft the archetype from. Next question. Is there such thing as too many expels? Yes, at a certain point you need to do something else, realistically, within the context of a draft. Like, the most you're probably going to see is five or something, and I wouldn't be unhappy to play five expels. I would want to make sure that I'm not going to just lose to a single combat professor at that point. I'm happy to play a lot of expels in a control deck, That uh, as long as I have my other bases covered. I need to have removal for the few threats that expel doesn't answer well, And I need to make sure that I have card advantage and finishers, and that also, like, if my opponent is a reactive deck as well, that I'm not just going to lose to them, like, drawing cards while I do nothing. I need to make sure that I'm not losing to my opponent just going hunt for specimens into pest summoning while all I have is expensive spot removal and I just die to some pests. But, you know, if you have five expels, that doesn't preclude you from also playing cards that cover you in those other situations. Next question, is bookworm a reason to splash green? My answer to that is it depends. If you're looking for a way to end the game, bookworm is a very reliable way to end the game and a very easy splash since it's a single green very late in the game. So if you're playing like campus guide letter of acceptance type stuff, you're not going very far out of your way to uh, like cast a bookworm trivially easy really and so it makes a lot of sense to splash if you're looking for some kind of finisher to make sure that when you have control you win the game rather than losing the game. If you have like enough natural inevitability that you don't need bookworm I would rather play a card that's going to get me to the point of the game where I'm like going to win a long game rather than a card that doesn't do anything early that's dedicated to winning but it is nice to have a bookworm so that you don't need to dedicate a lot of different cards to beating someone, because it will reasonably reliably uh, win a game eventually. You do need to be careful about you know making sure that you can still beat someone who exiles your bookworm, so you can't rely on it exclusively. I still prefer to be in a spot where I can rely more on having like some uh, lessons that I can learn for to be additional threats, as well as some like recursive threats like pilgrim of the ages and return past caller ideally approach the second sun. maybe even crackle with power to win like outside of combat or you know to splash serpentine curve or you know some kind of like cheaper finisher or maybe you just have like a couple combat professors or a specter of the fence or something if you're in a space where you're looking at your deck and you're not sure that you actually have an inevitability maybe you're just going to like kill some things for a while and then not end the game and then eventually your opponent will just draw another threat and beat you, at that point I would be pretty happy to splash bookworm. Next question, how risk averse should I be with my divine gambits? Basically when you draft a lot of removal I find that uh, the question kind of solves itself where the answer is basically use your other removal first and then when all you have is divine gambit if you're going to lose to something you gambit it and hope that they don't have another thing that beats you. Sometimes you're in a spot where there's a threat that's like problematic and you have enough mana for Divine Gambit and not enough mana for your more expensive removal spell. And you say like, all right, well, I'm going to Divine Gambit this. And then if they put something really bad for me into play in a little while, maybe I'll be able to rise of it or something pay attention to how many cards are in your opponent's hand, how the game's playing out, what colors they are, what threats they likely have, what you'll do if they put various things they might have into play, whether you need to fire it off, whether you can afford to take another hit, whether you have another removal spell. But for the most part, if your deck is removal heavy, you can just use your other answers first. And then when you get to the point where you're answering a late threat with your last removal spell and it's Divine Gambit, it works out very smoothly. Next question is, uh, how do I find myself in this archetype? I spoke to that Uh, Mostly at the beginning of this. Easiest way to be directly here is to first pick approach the second Sunday day of judgment. If that doesn't happen, then it's mostly if I like see a reconstruct history early, I'll expect it to table and potentially position myself to take advantage of it tabling. And so I'll note that it's there. And then in the picks between when I first saw it and when I expect to see it again, I'll start taking cards that play well with it. Removal spells, cards of different types, whatever. And then if it comes back, I'll know no one else was trying to do this and I'll have good tools and be in a position to do it myself. Outside of that, it's basically just like, you know, you happen to see an unusually large number of the cards that are particularly good here. Next question, what color combinations do you feel most confident with as a white-based control deck? Honestly, like I talked a lot about how Good the deck is at splashing. I think ideally would want white and red to be my primary colors, and then to splash blue or black um, roughly equally, and I would be happy splashing both of them or everything. I'm very flexible overall, given the preferences that I've outlined. Are there any two drop creatures outside of Illustrious Historian and Guardian of the Ages that I've already mentioned that fit here? So obviously there are rare and uncommon two drops that are fantastic, like Plarg and Conspiracy Theorist and Professor of Symbology. Those are all really high picks that play well here. At common, nothing stands out as like exceptional. I guess campus guide is the other one that I'm like particularly looking for because of its interaction with reconstruct history. Outside of that, like if you're low on two drops and low on two mana plays, and just looking for something to trade off, like it's not the end of the world if you end up playing like a leech fanatic or an eager first year or something. But uh, for the most part, I'm not looking to prioritize casting a creature on turn two. I would rather cast Thrilling Discovery, Hunt for Specimens, Cram Session, uh, Thrill of Possibility, maybe even just like use a study break to find to learn or use first day of class to learn or something. Um, or just cast rip apart or lash malice or some other you know just start the game with a removal spell should you prioritize reflective golem no Uh, very much you should not prioritize reflective golem in a control deck that is if it's good an aggressive card that would go in a deck with a lot of combat tricks which is not where you want to be in this space duress and agonizing remorse to check before divine gambit uh i think that I would be comfortable playing Duress and Agonizing Remorse in this kind of archetype, but not for that purpose. The reason that I would want to play Duress and Agonizing Remorse is because I'm often going to be threat light, but might have some high impact threats. My opponent won't have a chance to use a removal spell before I play. first creature that i care about and so i might want to use duress or agonize remorse with an expectation that it'll be live for a long time because my opponent's going to be holding their removal spell and i want to clear the path to it the fact that it might incidentally tell me if a divine gambit is safe or not is a nice bonus but for the most part i'm not that afraid of whether or not it's safe but like duress to clear the path for a great creature like cody or Lorehold, both of which are strong reasons to draft an archetype like this that I haven't uh, mentioned, I think that's fairly valuable. Do I think this deck lines up well against Silver Quill Aggro? As provided, you find enough of the cheap removal that you're looking for. Silver Quill Aggro is a strong archetype; could beat whatever. But having hard advantage and cheap removal is a reasonable plan to grind them out, especially if you have the powerful cards that I'm trying to draft the deck around. Like Day of Judgment is obviously fantastic against Silver Quill Aggro. Next question is, given that I mentioned this doesn't rely on Serpentine Curve, what are the better win conditions or threats this has access to, or am I just hoping to outcard my opponent and win with random stuff? Ideally, a rare or ideally Mythic like Approach the Second Son, lore hold, Lorehold, plot of the Sky would be my first choice for how to win the game. Failing that, I would say, yeah, we're more looking at the grind them out and win with whatever. Kill all their stuff with, you know, ideally using some... Uh, things that generate card advantage while killing their stuff like igneous inspiration and rise of extus and then get those back with return pass caller, pillar drop warden reconstruct history generating some card advantage off the return pass caller, the reconstruct history remove their stuff again generating more card advantage off your igneous inspiration and your rise of extus and then attack them with the random like pilgrim of the ages and illustrious historians that have ended up in your graveyard give you random threats or just like Attack them with, you know, return pass color, especially if you have like two of them and you can loop it, or, you know, whatever. You know, if you have a rare, great. If not, whatever random bad stuff you have. Oh, next we have a pretty good question, which is do you choose to go second with this? I only play best of one, so the choice never comes up. Uh, Best of one doesn't let you decide. However, if I were to play best of three, um, yes. The more removal you have, the more attrition based your deck is, the better it is to choose to go second. So as long as I have a comfortable amount of removal, of cheap removal, I would very frequently choose to go second with like this kind of deck. Next question, is it possible to play the archetype without one of the Mythics? Yes, it's certainly possible. You can rely on the plan that I talked about where you just recur removal spells, ideally removal spells that generate a material advantage. Though as with any control deck, you'll be much better off if it's supported by rares. Next question, feel like Cram Session wasn't given enough credit in blue-black, how does it do in white control? I, I certainly didn't mean to overlook Cram Session when just blue-black. I consider Cram Session an extremely important part of blue-black. I intended to convey that the reason to draft mirror is the fact that it has the cheap learn cards that pair with the cheap removal to support everything about the strategy. I, I consider Cram Session absolutely essential to that deck. I think Cram Session is good, but less essential to white control because Thrilling Discovery uh, offers a different path to life gain. You can also use Revitalize, but I do want to have some of that like life gain stuff to help you know, buy time against aggro, let you use your removal a little more judiciously, make sure that you don't get burned out. I think, you know, cram session is fine. It's just not as high a priority as it is in blue black, because you can take advantage of suitable replacements in the other cards I mentioned. Next question, how highly would I take Lash of Malice? I value Lash of Malice very highly, but it's obviously contingent on my being in a place where I expect to have a good amount of black mana so that I can Rely on it as an early removal spell. If I know that I'm like white and black, I will usually but not always take Expel over it. I will usually but not always take Rise of Extus over it. I will usually but not always take Hunt for Specimens over it, but I I view it as, you know, a top tier common. Uh, Are there lessons you prioritize in a control deck, but I prefer Inklings versus bigger bodies such as Spirit Summoning? Spirit Summoning isn't that high a priority, but Elemental Summoning is. I prefer Inkling Summoning to Spirit Summoning. Basically, Inkling Summoning is a good answer to opposing flyers, where Spirit Summoning, I think, is a lot more... You know, it trades with stuff that you can already trade with pretty easily, whereas, like, you might need a specific answer to a flyer. Neither Inkling Summoning nor Spirit Summoning is, like, a top-tier lesson for the archetype. I'm mostly looking for Environmental Sciences... Intro to Prophecy, Elemental Summoning, Intro to Annihilation, obviously, you know, Mascot Exhibition, notably Illuminate History, I think it's called. Uh, The Red Red to Rare lesson is really, really good in this archetype. Yeah, I'm mostly looking for the lessons I mentioned with like Inkling, Spirit Summoning, and Expanded Anatomy as acceptable filler lessons, basically. Next question, Lesson and Learn, obviously a huge part of this format. Does it concern me that the Learn, Courage, in White and Red lend themselves toward more aggressive builds? Obviously, this deck is not really looking to use an Enthusiastic Study or Guiding Voice as a high priority. Study Break is better in aggressive decks, but totally serviceable in control decks. And then the Black Lessons are obviously great here, and uh, Rise of Extus gives you good access to your like late game finisher lessons if not your early setup lessons like environmental sciences. So, it's not so much that it concerns me as that the way that your draft you draft needs to be informed by it and if you are base white red and not in a position to prioritize your learn cards Obviously, you know, there are exceptions like um, Professor of Symbology is another really good early learn card, as is Igneous Inspiration. Both of those are fantastic control cards in white and red that would lend me to, you know, prioritize lessons and let me take advantage of lessons early. If I don't have those, we're getting later in the draft. And my learn is limited to a rise of access and a study break or something. Well, I guess it's, it's weird to say if we're getting later in the draft, then I might prioritize learn last, because at that point it's kind of too late. Or I might prioritize lessons last, less, because it's kind of too late. But I would say that I think the fact that you don't necessarily use lessons early well means that you need to take into account the fact that when you're trying to splash, if your base red-white, you're likely to be doing it less off environmental sciences and more off digging with Thrilling Discovery and using Campus Guide, Archway Commons, and Letter of Acceptance. So you need to plan to have a slightly different manabase than the environmental sciences-fueled manabase offered by Demir. I think you could certainly look at one of the key distinctions between Demir philosophically and structurally and white control, as Demir is about early learning for environmental sciences, while White is about using artifacts and rummaging to fix your mana, and then devoting your lessons to ending the game and pulling ahead with uh, Intro to Prophecy, Intro to Annihilation, and Elemental Summoning. So I do think that it's really critical to understand that you don't learn early well, but that doesn't mean that you can't take advantage of the lessons the format offers it just means that you're positioned to take advantage of lessons differently and to use them in a different way how many copies of rise vextus is too many would i play four five as long as i have enough good lessons and i don't have too many other card like late game cards there's not really a limit to the number of rise vextus is that i want as long as like i have a reasonable curve like once you get to the point where you can cast one it makes it easier to live to cast another. And as long as my lesson board is rich, they're all pulling me further ahead and making it easier to win the game. And like helping with the fact that, you know, when I have this much removal and this much like, you know, when I'm this good at extending the game, I'm looking for a way to win. And like as long as I have just any random summonings in my sideboard or something, each additional copy of Rise just is also a threat. So yeah, I'm I'm happy to just play tons of them. Next question is, like, given that there aren't that many creatures you want to play, and you, so you're basically just playing creatures that are really, really good, like Professor of Symbology, Killian, Combat Professor, and then you have, like, the creatures that are synergistic, like Illustrious Historian, Pilgrim of the Ages, Pillar Drop Board, and Campus Guide. Outside of that, you're relying on Hunt for Specimens, potentially Learn Cards, Pilgrims, and Removal. Yeah, that, that's, that's what's going on. You're uh, creature-light, but often not quite as creature-light as Demir, because you don't need to strictly minimize your creatures to power up Serpentine Curve, and there are some creatures you actively want. But, yeah, I mean, you're you're relying more on removal than blocking still, So uh, certainly. Next question is, def- defend the campus playable if you have the shell of the rest of the deck, but short on removal for big creatures. Would I play multiple? Yes, absolutely. Defend the campus uh, plays really well with your removal. If I have, like, Uh, shock rip apart heated debate uh, type removal but I'm missing expels and rise of exodus I have no problem whatsoever playing uh, one or two defend the campuses to give myself a good answer to serpentine curves failing to uh, mention uh, defend the campus or like include it in the arc type uh, sketch was an oversight on my part I definitely think it has a place here Next question, if I'm going into this archetype, would I take second environmental sciences higher than other archetypes? So as I was just talking about, about the distinction in terms of how you're fueling your mana base between white control that's leaning on artifacts versus demire control that's leaning on early learn, I prioritize second environmental sciences really highly, almost almost as highly as the first one. Not quite, but more in that ballpark than you might suspect in uh, demir, especially if I'm splashing more than one additional color. In white control, I would prioritize the second one pretty low, because I'm not even that high on the first one, and I'm expecting, for the most part, that I'll have other mana fixing, so I won't uh, really need it, and I'm not going to be able to prioritize early learn cards enough to really take advantage of it. All right. I think that uh, catches me up with all of the questions about uh, drafting white X control in Strixhaven. I am going to wrap this up. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. If you are listening on YouTube or ever watch on YouTube, if you could hit the subscribe button, that would certainly uh, help us out. And if you're not listening on YouTube, we hope that you are listening on whatever platform best suits your uh, structure and lifestyle and preferences. If you would prefer to consume this podcast in a medium that is different from the one you are currently consuming it in, you do have a lot of options. It is available on every podcast app as well as YouTube and recorded live on Twitch Wednesdays at 8 p.m. I hope that that information is useful to you. Thanks, everyone, and I will be back next week.